last Sunday, last Sunday, I started with a scripture in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And I threw a question at the congregation. I want to start from there this morning, just to make sure that you guys have retention. So, in starting the conversation today, can anybody get up and tell me the two reasons you know you are going to heaven? The two points. Whew, Jesus, help me. Yes. Oh my God, you get a dollar. Maybe two dollars. Because my sins are forgiven and because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are on it. You are on it. Praise God. Now, last Sunday I said we're going to kick off from John chapter 15 this morning. Very quickly, let's just go there. And then Dr. Norfolk is going to come and we're going to set the stage for how grace works. How grace works. And again, we want you to have your questions or your comments for that matter. And again, for those who are streaming online, we would like for you to join us in this conversation if you will send your questions and your comments to us real life. You know, Pastor MJ, thank you so much for, for what you are saying about Jesus being exalted and not being ashamed of Jesus Christ. Because Paul in Romans 1.16 said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. Because it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. That scripture came home to us loud and clear while we were in Myanmar and in Thailand. Yes. Uh, I know some of you guys have seen the pictures I brought back, which we've not made public yet, on the hotel where we stayed. Nice hotel. But at the check-in counter was this future of Buddha. And every day they had to feed this Buddha. Five course meal. Iced tea, steamed white rice, and two vegetables and a dessert. Every day that was somebody's job in the hotel to go and spread the table. And you saw the picture of the Buddha smiling. Ah, I'm afraid today. Hallelujah. Wow. I'll show it to you next week. Wow. True story. And Pastor Charles, you've been there. Everywhere, showing you've been in Thailand. Everywhere, every public place. Marriott, Hilton, it doesn't matter where. Whatever the hotel is, you're going to find a shrine there, one in, the, in front and one inside. And then, I've, oh, Sammy, you've been there. All through the streets, men just real nice. They look like Shaun Professor. They come there <laughs> and they put their money on the plate. They put their bananas. 2 p.m., 1 p.m., 12 noon, 9 p.m. It doesn't matter what time of the day. And when I showed the picture to Pastor Tosin this last time, she said something to me that really clicked to connect with what MJ shared. She said that these people are not ashamed to put their God on display. They are not ashamed to put their God on display. They may have a false God, but they put that God on display. How much more for you and I? Going back to Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we ashamed? Are you sure you're not ashamed? Because if we are not ashamed, 
why are we not putting God on display? In the marketplace, on our jobs, in our schools, in our houses. Why are we not allowing the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus to come forth? I said it last week, we need an encounter. And that's where we're going. We have to have a Jesus encounter to where we are not religious on Sunday morning in church and irreligious at work Monday through Friday. There should not be a dichotomy between who I am on Sunday and who I am on Monday through Saturday. I should be the same way everywhere all of the time. If there's a difference, something is wrong. I need to come back to the altar. Those guys have the God on display all the time. Now, John chapter 15. That was just a freebie. Sydney, it's good to see you back, man. I'm glad Canada didn't keep you. (laughs) Praise God. John 15. What in the world are you putting up there? Thank you, sir. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, it takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, it prunes. That it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Next and last verse. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. You know, when I first read this passage two years ago, when we started making the transition into the grace message, I actually asked, I believe it was Erica, or maybe a revelation, I'm not sure who it was, to get me an appointment to go to Chateau Land, where they have a, uh, a, a, a winery and vineyard. I wanted to see for myself exactly what a vine looked like to help me to understand what Jesus was actually saying in this passage. Because to the people that Jesus was speaking in his day, there was no doubt in their mind the use of this metaphor. My father is a gardener. I am the true vine and you are the branches. They had no misunderstanding, no misgiving whatsoever that Jesus was speaking about three 
different kinds of people. Number one, in John 15 verse 2, it says, if you do not bear fruit, in this translation, it takes away. And many have used that to say, you see, this is what we're talking about. If you are not producing fruit, Jesus cuts you off, you are going to hell. That is not true. That word, take away, in the original Greek, is the same word used for lift up. Lift up. Now, this became so clear to me when I went to the vineyard and I saw how vines were groomed. Vines had the ability to sprawl all over the place. And every now and then, some of them will fall to the ground. The leaves will face the dirt in the ground. And as long as they remain in that position, they never were able to be afoot. It was the job of the vine dresser, or in this case, the gardener, to from time to time lift those branches up, prop them, so that instead of them facing the ground and facing and eating the dirt, they faced the sun, S-U-N. If you ever went to a vineyard, you will see all kinds of branches being propped up like that. Because they wanted to make sure they repositioned them so that the branches can receive the sunlight which enabled it to be able to grow and ultimately bear fruit. Are you following me? John chapter 8, John chapter 5, use the exact same word, take it away, to describe the word lift up. If you go into the blue letter Bible, you will see it very clearly. You see what I'm saying very clearly? The meaning of the word takeaway. Okay? Now, John 15 verse 6. So remember that, that verse 2 does not mean it takes away to destroy. That's not true. Rather, it lifts up, nourishes, so that that unfruitful branch can begin to now bring forth fruit. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Who is this talking about? This is talking about those who never believed. They are not believers. How do I know that? The key here is the word abide. Quickly please give me 1 John 4.15. 1 John chapter 4 verse 15. 1 John 4, 15. Remember the word abide. Good. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abide in him, and he what? So the key here is the word abide. So when Jesus said, if you abide in me, and I in you, what he's simply saying is, if you confess me, because confession of who Jesus is automatically equals abiding in him. And that's what the scripture is just showing us here. I didn't make it up. You are looking at it. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and him what? In God. Amen? So you have three examples. Those 
Christians who are not fruitful because of the distress, the struggles, distractions, the issues of life that has entangled them and they've resolved in looking inward to themselves to getting themselves out of the situation rather than looking up to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And then you have the Christians who are being fruitful and you have these unbelievers who never abided. Why? Because they never confessed it. Now, why am I saying all of this? Because this is going to dovetail into what Dr. Norfolk is going to, where he's going to go now. Give me please now the picture of the vine. Thank you. Can everybody see the picture of the vine? This is the, this is the nugget. This is the, this is the bombshell. I want to make sure you, I have your attention before I, uh, before I wrap this up. Jesus said, I am the true vine. You are the branches. Is that what he said? Yes. Good. Now hear this. Not only is Jesus the true vine, whew, is the root, is the stem, is the flower, is the fruit, and is also the branch. Ah, you didn't get it. Because if you got it, you should be dancing on your head. When he said, I'm the true vine, does, can you remove the vine from the rest of the plant? No. How are you going to extract the vine away from the rest of the plant? How are you going to do that? What makes the vine? Is it just the root? Is it just the stem? Is it just the branches? The entire plant makes the vine. So when Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches, is confirming what Paul said. He's saying to you, yes, I am the righteousness of God, and I've also made you like me. I'm not only the vine, I'm righteous, but you are also the vine, and you're just as righteous as I am. We are one. Does that make sense? You cannot, you cannot separate the branches from the vine. You do that at your own expense. That's, not, that's why everyone to whom Jesus was talking, they caught what he was saying. I am the true vine. You are, you are the branches. Because the truth is, what is true of Jesus is true of us. Just as he said, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. No difference. Now, oh my God, Paul nailed it. Galatians 5.22. Now you can appreciate what he said, the fruit of the Spirit is. It's not just the fruit of the branch. It's the fruit of what? The Spirit. Why? It's the Spirit that's producing it. Man, you need to get your head around this great mes- message. It's the most liberating, the most incredible thing that God has ever done. Yes. Now, this way is going to pick it up. Let me ask you this. What does this branch or branches have to do to produce fruit? Are they thinking of fruitfulness? I mean, how, how much strive, how much effort does the branch put in producing fruit? 
Answer me, please. Do they apply fertilizer? Are they huffing and puffing? What does the branch have to do to produce fruit? Who said absolutely nothing? The person gets a dollar. <laughs> nothing. Say nothing. nothing. The only thing that has to happen for the branch to produce fruit is abiding. That's what we've said here on and on and on again. Stop trying. Start trusting. Stop trying. You cannot produce this by the arm of your flesh. It's not possible. But just start trusting that by abiding, which means I confess the Lord Jesus, which means I believe in him, which means I'm rested in his finished work. So now, Jesus, live your life through me. Thank you, sir. Do we get that? Do you now know that there's, do you, do you understand that there's no difference between you as a branch and him as a vine? Ah, no, you guys didn't get it. How many people got that? Amen. Because it's got to come to your consciousness. You can't live without it if you don't believe it. Because as a man thinketh, so is he. As long as you think there's a difference between what God has done in Christ and what he has given and imparted to you, you will never be able to live without. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you don't think it, if you don't believe it, if you don't receive it in you, you're not going to be able to live it out. Over to you, sir. Thank you, sir. You know, as, as you were speaking, Pastor Banks, uh, my mind went to that word abide. Yes. You know, sometimes we feel that abiding is, is doing something. Yes. Uh, we, have to, we have to pray three, four, five times a day. We have to read the Bible. We, we have to witness Yes. We have to do all kinds of things with very good intention. Yes. But, but the same John, in 1 John chapter 4, yes. chapter 4 verse, verse 13, tells us what it means to abide. 1 John 4, 13. Good. It says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Yep. That is abiding. Yep. So abiding is not what you do or what you don't do. Abiding is knowing that the Holy Spirit is in you. That is abiding. It says, Amen. by this we know yes. that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. The indwelling Holy Spirit assures us that we are abiding in him and he in us. Amen. Amen. I want to share with us this, this morning, oh, I was so blessed uh, by one of the choruses that we, that we sang earlier on, and especially from our, from our sister. If you can use anything, you can use me. Amen. And uh, I, I so much identify with that chorus uh, because if I, if I look at my past, uh, I wouldn't think that I'll be sitting here. Hmm. So if, if God could use me, oh my Lord, Amen. he could use anything. 
a song that when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done for me, my very soul shall cry hallelujah yes. and praise God for saving me. I want to share with us that word saving me, saving me. And uh, I want to talk in that line about saving grace, saving grace. Because, you know, many a times when people are asked to give testimony of the goodness or the grace of God, and we often, most times, we talk about how we have suddenly gotten a good job. That's good. Or how uh, we were, you know, we were poor, now we are rich. Excellent. But the gospel, the gospel is a gospel of the grace of God. It's a gospel of the grace of God. It's good news about the wonderful thing that Jesus has done. And that is our salvation saving us. There is nothing more about the gospel but what Christ has done when, when Paul gave a summary of what the gospel was. He said, I, I preached unto you the gospel. He said, Jesus came and died according to the scriptures. Yeah. He was buried according to the scriptures. He resurrected according to the scriptures. That encapsulates the gospel. And of course, the ramification. The peace, the joy. The fruit that John talked about is the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Love, joy, Correct. peace, patience, long-suffering, yep. faithfulness, self-control, yeah. and all of that. So the issue is, how does this grace, this unmerited favor, this unending, inexhaustible mercy, love, loving kindness of God. How does it work in me? Amen. So that I can be what God has destined me to be. It has to do with the issue of resolving my sins. Now, I'm saying this, I don't want to bring sin consciousness because many of us will say, well, the issue of sin has already been dealt with. Yes, it's been dealt with. But as a counselor, I know what sin does to people as I see them on a daily basis. I know the misery that sin brings to us, sometimes our own sin or the sins of others. Correct. And even as believers, many, many of us have not really resolved that issue of sin. So how does grace, how does it resolve this issue of sin in my life? Many of us are still living with the past. We allow the past to influence our today and then our tomorrow. And we forget that we are no longer, you know, creatures of the past. We are creatures of Jesus Christ. We are in him. Amen. Jesus said, in that day you would know that I am in the Father mm -hmm. and you in me and I am in you. That talks about you know, an indestructible union. It cannot be separated. Amen. Nothing can separate that. I had five things, five truths of grace that relates to resolving my sin issues. The first one is this, that humility attracts grace. Humility. 
at Trias Grace. James said, was it James or? Four six. James 4.6. James. And first Peter. He said that God does what? He resists the proud. Yep. And then gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Grace is unearned. It is unmerited. You cannot work to earn it. However, you can spurn grace, can spurn grace by the lack of humility. You can attract grace because of humility. Humility involves trust. Involves trust. I can define humility as absolute trust in who God says I am. Absolute trust in who God says I am. Amen? So, grace involves humility, which also involves trust. The writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And that faith is trust. In other words, without trust, I cannot please God. If I don't believe what he has said about me, who he says I am, my new identity in him, that I am righteous, that I'm a saint, I'm not a sinner saved by grace, that I'm holy. I trust him. He will take care of the other things. Secondly, grace changes our life focus. If my motivation is to please God, you see, there are two things that we have to deal with as believers in my life. Either to please him or to trust him. Please him or to trust him. If my motivation, if my motivation is to please him, which is a good thing, I'm going to do things within my power to please him. But God is already pleased with me. Amen. He's already <laughs> pleased with me. I take it upon myself to do those things. And he says, son, I'm already pleased with you. All I want you to do is to trust me. Because without trust, without faith, it is impossible to please him. I said, when you trust him, you, you are pleasing him. Wow. When you trust God, you are pleasing him. Number three, grace lets God handle sin. Grace lets God handle sin. It says, for by grace you are saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sins, from the wrath of God. Saved from the penalty of sin. Saved from the dominion of sin. I didn't do that. God did it. And therefore, if I'm still struggling with sin in my life, all I have to do is to trust him. Trust who he says that I am. Amen. He said, sin shall not have dominion over me. Oh, thank you, Lord. Because this sin shall not have dominion over me. He said, I am dead to sin, but alive unto God. And therefore, I am dead to that sin. And yet, I am alive unto God. Lord, I present myself alive unto you. And that juice and that nutrient that flows from the vine, that starts from the root, the vine, the sap, and then into the branches. Cleanses, washes me. 
Number three, or number four, grace melts masks. Hmm. Yep. Talk about that. I'm going to dwell with that just a little bit because <laughs> I was a victim of this. Hmm. Mask. Masks. Mask. You remove mask. Facade. Facades. Those things that we, those things that we wear, you know, to hide. Makeups. You know. <laughs> I had to go there. I'm sorry. <laughs> we wear masks. Many, many different types of masks. There you go. <laughs> we, we wear one mask when we are coming to the church. We wear one mask when we are going to work. We wear one mask at home. Hmm. I was sharing with my brother, we even wear one mask when in bed. We have all kinds of masks. <laughs> and that is because we are hiding something. We, we don't like who we are. And therefore, if I let you know who I am, you will not like me. You, you will reject me. And I really don't like who I am. It's, therefore, I, I, I just have to hide me from me. <laughs> I have to hide me from me. It didn't start with me. It started with Adam and Eve. Amen. They hid from each other. Yep. And they thought they could hide from God. And you know that same question that Jehovah asked, uh, where are you, Adam? You know, that question resonates, you know, in many of us. You know, many of us try to deaden that question. Stephen, where are you? Stephen, where are you? That same question. Lord, I heard your voice and I was afraid. So I hit myself. You see, mask. Mask. You know, when we wear the mask, when we build those walls around us, you know what a wall does? It keeps you in. And it keeps others from getting to you. It's like you are in a prison. That's right. I was in that prison many, many years mask. I had all kinds of masks. But you know what? Grace melts masks. Because in the room of grace, pastor, there are no pretenders. Mm. And there are no superstars. We all are at the mercy of God. Amen. We all are work. You know, Paul said we are his workmanship. Yep. He's working in us. Amen. Uh, before him, we are all accepted because why we wear those masks is because we are afraid to be rejected. You know, but if you know that in the beloved that yeah. you are accepted, accepted, not only are you accepted, but you are acceptable. Hmm, that's good. I want you to note that because there's a difference between being accepted and knowing that, that you are acceptable. Amen. You know, the world will reject you. You see, if I have acceptance in me, and I know that I am not deficient of acceptance, 
there is nothing you would do to me that I will complain because I know that I am accepted. He who knows all things, owns all things, says I have accepted you in the beloved. So I, I go with confidence. Yes. Grace melts mask. I don't have to juggle my mask. Hmm. Put one on, take one off, replace, because I know that I am accepted in the beloved. Hmm. I am naked before him. Hmm. <laughs> Grace changes how we treat each other and our sin issues. You know, we cannot divorce how we think God sees us and how we relate with God. We cannot divorce that from how we see each other and relate with each other. If I believe and know that my sin separates me from God, if I know that and I believe that, even though that has been taken off, as believers, there are many of us who see things that way. If I know that my sin separates me from God, I will also believe that your sin and my sin separates us. And you know, once I'm aware of that, the natural thing is for me to hide. I'm not going to be open to you because I'll be afraid that you will judge me. You will reject me. You know, many times, and this is, this is so common, you know, we see one another, we say, how are you? How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. But that man is in deep trouble. That's right. In any case, you ask him, are you really sure you want to know? <laughs> That's right. And so we have, we have perpetrated lies hmm. everywhere hmm. because of the mask. Can we be open? In the room of grace, hmm. it is openness. Hmm. There is safety. Hmm. There is absolute love. Hmm. There is complete dependence upon him. Hmm. There is humility. There is protection. There is unending love. Even with my issues, even with all of my stuff, I can still enjoy the grace, the loving kindness of God. Are you hearing me? Yes. Grace changes how I treat others and how I see them. If I know, in fact, if I know that I'm a saint and you are a saint, it will change how I see you. But if I say I am a sinner saved by grace, is going to affect my dealings with you. In fact, if I say that you are a sinner saved by grace, it gives me the permission to reject you. Because what do sinners do? They sin. Sinners sin. 
And if I believe and know that, I know and believe that I am a sinner saved by grace, and you are a sinner saved by grace, I've already put a wedge between us. Because my sin and your sin will separate us, and of course I have to juggle my mask so that you will accept me and I will accept you. And then like Adam and Eve, we will try to hide from each other and hide from God. Amen. So grace says, God says, hey, you don't have to get all your stuff all together. Just come. Trust me. Trust me. Amen. Because I'm going to take care of that sin. Amen. And that is in you. It gives me room to mature. The more I think about striving with my sin, the, the more I will sin. Because you cannot. Jesus says, without me, you can do, you nothing. Can do nothing. Amen. The floor is open now. Your comments, your questions. And for the online community, if you just send your mess, uh, the questions in, if you have it, uh, we'll get it and address it. All right, Mr. Frith, bury the card. Thank you. Speak to the mic. Thank Hello. Thank you, everyone. So, my question, my question is really about what does grace look like today in our current community in light of current events, circumstances? What does grace look like in my actions? And I'm saying that because up until really today, I feel like the grace that we've been talking about is speaking to, or is not speaking really to my generation. And I say that because we've been talking about mentality changes. We've been talking about the law, and about the law, or the love, the law, the law. The law. Okay. The law. okay. And when we look at my particular generation, we never liked the law. We never liked anything that confined <laughs> us to judgments or rules or regulations. So telling us to change our mentality, that was never the way we thought to begin with. So my question is, if we're currently living in fear of walking outside in light of current events and hot button social issues, what does grace look like for me as a believer, for me as a Christian in those situations? What would my actions be that portrayed grace. Amen. Very good question. Uh, let, me, let me make sure we understand the question and then I'm going to give it a shot at it. Uh, what I'm hearing him say is that for this generation, his age, they never received, embraced, accepted the law. They've always rejected it anyway. So for them, trying to teach grace from the perspective of making change. They were there all along. We just didn't know it. <laughs> In their thinking, they just said, this law stuff, I'm sorry. It's not for them. So what he's asking us is, how does, what does grace look like in, in, uh, relative to the current events vis-a-vis? -vis? The prayer that Pastor Ibeke prayed. Two black men were murdered in Louisiana, in uh, Minnesota, and five police officers murdered in Dallas, Texas. Relevant current issues. How do we live out that grace? 
to address the things that are speaking to us now, now in our day and time now. Grace, in I think it's Titus 2.12, says that the grace has appeared to all men, bringing salvation to all men. And that grace teaches us, that word teaches, is not just, you know, a verbal impartation of knowledge, but it's instruction, discipline. It corrects us to say no to ungodliness. Yep. That's what grace does. Now, but, and then to live soberly, in other words, live with self-control in this present generation. Of course, it applies to you, also applies to me, because we are all in this generation. Now, yes, you had not received law, but I want to caution okay. uh, that sometimes it's not talking about lawlessness. You see, there is a difference between not depending on works for your righteousness. It's the difference between that and living a life of lawlessness or rebellion. Okay. I, I, I want to say, and uh, this is not a critical statement, uh, that many of this generation are gearing towards that, rebellion and lawlessness. That's, that is not what we are talking about. Grace, what happened in um, Minnesota in uh, Minnesota or, Louisiana. or Dallas? Yeah. Now, how would grace have worked in that boy's life if he had received grace? If he knew that by grace he is saved and the salvation is, is not just that, look, you know, when I die, I'm, I am going to heaven. No, 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 no. In the meantime, before I get to heaven, I don't even know what it's going to be like in heaven, but in the meantime, before I get to heaven, how do I live my life? How do I overcome this temptation? The temptation to kill. How do I overcome addiction? How do I overcome a rebellion? And that is where grace comes in. Grace tells you, that you are okay. Because a lot of the things that, that people do, they do it because they want to have a need met. A need in their lives. And I was just sharing with uh, uh, some of the people in my class today that God has wired us with four basic needs. Four basic needs. Number one, the need for love. The need to be loved. Is there anyone who doesn't want to be loved? The need for love. The need for acceptance. Everybody wants to be accepted. And some of the crimes that are committed, I tell you I didn't have love in my home. No papa or mama wasn't there. And then they carry on this air of I am a victim. Because if I had that, then I wouldn't have done this. So a need hadn't been met. 
They need for love. They need for acceptance. They need for worth. How many want to feel worthwhile? That you are so important that somebody can spend money on you. Hmm. That God can spend his time on you. Worth. And then they need for security. Who doesn't want to be secure in life? Who doesn't want to have a salvation that is secure? I was sharing with some of my members this morning. I said, you know, that some people think salvation is like, you know, you are riding in a, a boat on a river and you see a drowning person and then you run and pick up that person and put him in your boat. And then you are going along and this person begins to say some curse words, those words that we don't like. He says those words and then we turn around and say, hey, we pack him up and throw him back into the, into the water. He drowns. There is no security for such salvation. I want to have a salvation that I have confidence that he who has said it, he who has saved me, he will save me to the utmost. And that is what we have. So grace in today is understanding that I can trust who God says about me. I don't have to, grace does not give me license to go and kill or to commit sin. But it actually emboldens me. It empowers me to live the godly life. To live a life that is good. I think, I think uh, you answered that question in a very broad scope, but I'm not sure if you address what he's talking about. I believe what he wants to know is, how do we as believers today respond to what's happening in our culture? Not from the perspective of me understanding my salvation. That's, that's good. I need to understand that. But for instance, since these things happened this last week, there's been a lot of sentiment that's arisen within the United States. People are very upset. There's a tearing. There's a division. Uh, some saying, well, to be a black man in America now, I don't know, maybe I should move to uh, Afghanistan because I don't know if I'm going to be safe in America as a black man. And so what has happened is the church itself, if we're not careful, is escalating the rhetoric. So what I'm hearing him say is, as a believer, what should my personal response be when I hear that a black man has been shot by a policeman, mm -hmm. perhaps, in, perhaps not justifiably, uh, or that the, uh, some black person kills five policemen. What should the position of a man or a woman walking in Greece look like? That's, I think that's, that's very specific to what he's saying. And you know, at the beginning we talked about how uh, the Asians are not afraid to put their, or are not ashamed to put their God on display. First of all, Faith, let, let me say this to you. We live in a fallen world. When sin was committed in garden, it's not just Adam and Eve that fell. The entire cosmic was affected as a result of that fall. Mankind, the relationship with man and God, relationship between man and man, and relationship between man and its creation, the earth. Now, Jesus paid the price, he redeemed us. 
But you must also understand that Romans 8 talks about how the earnest expectation of the creation is the awaiting of the manifestation of the sons of God. So that brings me to the crux of a question. As bad as things are, and they are bad, the Bible warns us that there will be gross darkness upon the face of the earth. But this is also the finest hour for the church. The church that is discerning, that is. The church that recognizes that in this darkness, when men hate men, men hate women, when things are not working, when all things are just messed up, this is the time for someone to arise and say, you know what? Look at Jesus in me. God or Christ in me is the hope of glory. The things that we are talking about, the uh, hatred, the fear, and or the Ill injustice, and all the things that are going on. Acts 17 says, from one blood, every nation was formed. We are all one family. White, black, Hispanic, on and on and on. We, are all, we all came from Adam. So the point I'm making is, going back to John chapter 15, he who abides in me, shall bring forth much fruit. Doctor mentioned it. What, does, what is that fruit? Love. Love. So what should my position be now? Mm. Yes, I'm pained by what happened. Hello. Yes, I do not like the fact that five policemen were ambushed and murdered cold-bloodedly. Yes, I do not appreciate that a black man was shot in Louisiana. Absolutely not. Not in Minnesota. But this is the time for the church to be the salt of the earth. What, is salt, what does salt do? It preserves. It heals. There needs to be healing in a nation. It needs to heal. But look at this. You don't need a lot of salt to affect the food. <laughs> One tiny pinch of salt in any food, you taste the salt. So rather than the church escalating the rhetoric, oh man, we need to get this man. Oh man, white lives matter, black lives matter, all lives matter. Ah, oh, I will show them. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Rather than take that position, that's the world's position. We are in this world, but not of this world. What Jesus is saying is, if you abide in me. My words will abide in you. You will ask what you will and it shall be done. Fruit that God wants us to bring is love. So, so the, the issue, the answer is we should be manifesting love in this matter. I don't like what happened. It's unfortunate. Let's dialogue. Let's talk about it. In the meantime, we're going to trust God for the, for, for the peace of this land. But we should, listen, I'm, I'm telling you, if you want to be a child of God, ask God to put a guard on your lips. I know our emotions. I did not like it. I did not like what happened. But we cannot, because of our emotion and sentiment, take a position that is worldly and not godly. Once you do that, God's hand is off of the matter. And that's why up to this point, God has not been able to do what he desires in the church. Because the church is siding with the world and not with God. Does that make sense? Faith, does you understand what I'm saying? You have a backup question? Oh, God. 
<laughs> the millennials are here. Amen. <laughs> Go ahead. You young men, what, what are you guys drinking? <laughs> Let, let's make sure I understand what he's saying. That no high-profile national minister okay. has stepped forward and said, this is the church's position. So, in a sense, the fathers are missing in action. Wow. Pardon me? T.D. Jakes. He did. Oh, okay. You need to tune in. <laughs> what did TD say? Please don't argue among them. Tell me what did he say? Thank you. This is a dialogue, man. We need to talk. Yes, yes. Bishop Jakes. Bishop Jakes said um, his statement was similar to what. Pastor just said, and the essence of it is that we as a church needs to operate more in love. Love was what he was really talking about through all of this. Now, he did condemn the actions. Sure. He condemned the actions, especially because he is uh, over, he oversees a church that is right there in Dallas. Dallas, of course. Where the event happened. Sure. Part of Event, but his stand was that we must sow love. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's, that's a correct position. You don't condone what happened. Mm-hmm. You acknowledge that what happened happened, and it's not God's desire for that to happen. No question about that. But I like the fact that they took position and encouraged the church to speak or walk in love. Now, I'd like to see many more of them get up and say that. Because we see the same thing against the Islamic people. That when there's a beheading, there's a suicide bombing, where is the Islamic leaders? They are not talking enough. So there needs to be a saturation of church leaders coming out, CNN, Fox News, ABC, NBC, CBS, doing talk shows, all over the thing, letting the church know. And of course, saying it in the church, like we're doing now. Because you guys are going to be the foot soldiers who goes back to your mission fields tomorrow, whether that's your job, your classes, uh, your businesses, to help the rest of your congregation, those that are working with you, that's your congregation. Do you, I hope you know that. I hope you all know you are all ordained. I hope you all know you are all apostles and prophets and pastors and evangelists and teachers. If you need a certificate, we'll give it to you before you leave. <laughs> but seriously, seriously, so that you go back to your jobs, to your working stations, your mission stations, and begin to, 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 to propagate the mind of God. Be careful not to be sucked into the emotion and say, ah, oh, they don't like black men. Listen, it's easy to get sucked into it. But that's where you have to check yourself and speak the mind of God. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What's the knowledge of God? Walk in love. As I've loved you, love one another. That's just it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To five, it talks about Abraham and his works and him not being able to earn grace or earn, God, or earn salvation through the works of his hands. Okay. 
I completely agree with that. And what you were just saying about us being the foot soldiers and needing to be, be changed. Yes. That's really the crux of my question. I'm not asking for a high profile ministry or a high, you know, celebrity for that matter to come yes. out and tell us what, what grace, what position to take. I'm asking my daily life, every day, sure. my stance, what would grace look like in light of the wall that we're living in? Amen. If truly that light, then how should I shine? Where should I shine every day? Amen. So, but you're not, you, did we answer that now? I think so. We are in agreement now. Because we say you go to work, you go to school, you go to the marketplace, and let your light shine, and speak love, talk love, live love. Right. Everybody, all of us doing that collectively. Right. Okay, the issue of the national ministers was just a rallying point. Somebody say, ra ra ro, ro, let's go, let's do it. We, we need that support from them to help us understand we're in the right direction, this is where we go, and let's just be mobilized going forward. But thanks. That was very good. Thank you. Hmm. By the way, in case you guys don't know, this is our own local pope. So this question is coming to you from Vatican, Rome, Italy. <laughs> I don't know if it's a question as much as just ruminating. We talk about love. Yes. But, uh, and we talk about love in very abstract terms. Because love is played out in the issues that I have to deal with on a daily basis. There you go. And so, I, and, um, I, I don't mean to disagree with you, Pastor. Sure. The, the point you made, because... I think about this young man, and if you hear his journey towards ultimately what led him to take this gun and act out in the way that he did. Why are you describing now? Who, who's the guy? The young uh, 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 guy that killed the five policemen. Oh, okay, okay, sure. And there, there was a process of radicalization. Okay. We touched on something that's profound. I think vast majority of people sitting in this room today are intimidated to express their Christianity wherever they are. I think if that boy, if somebody had engaged him when he was hearing a message is like a Black Lives Matter, and that's where I'm saying I'm taking the... Sure. Uh, why is, is it intimidating for a believer to stand up in the workplace and say, yes, Black Lives Matter, but all lives matter? Amen. If somebody had confronted that, that God loves you just the same way he loves the Asian, just the way he loves the Caucasian, just the way he loves the Mexican, that every person is equal in the eyes of God. And, and all of the people that, that are speaking to this young man's life, pull him away from that point where he sees a distinction between the black man and the white man and the yellow man and the red man and, and say God loves all people equally. That's, the, I, I think, where we miss the point sometimes that it is not popular to take some of the stands that are biblical, but we have no choice. If we are going to be light in this, uh, uh, light in this world and salt, salt in this earth, we need to, be take those, uh, need to be willing to take those positions and say, yes, black lives matter, but so does every other life. Because if that boy gets that message, perhaps he, if he understands that that person that is pointing that gun at, uh, that gun at is as much a child of God, created as much in the image of God with purpose and destiny, is much as connected <laughs> to God's overall plan yeah. as he himself is. And that young man, unfortunately, that was killed by the policeman, that perhaps it pulls us from the brink of radicalism sometimes. That's the point. And that's, so we, we engage the culture, sometimes taking positions that are counterculture, but that are biblical, 
we do say love. I'll give you an example, Pastor. When that whole thing, uh, some of you may know that I'm part of the board of um, um, directors for the Christian Fellowship Group at CDC where I work. And when this whole thing happened in Orlando where this guy went in and uh, massacred, uh, yes, uh, almost 50 people. The uh, LGBT, whatever it is, I don't know, all this group, legends. The lay, gay, lesbian. Anyway, they wanted to have a, a conversation in the CDC. They wanted to have uh, a, uh, what do they call that? Diversity council type conversation at the CDC. And so they invited all of the people they thought would be stakeholders in that conversation. The CFG, the Christian Fellowship Group, was invited to that conversation. And there was a debate in the, in the board as to whether we should go. <laughs> I was the, of the position that we should not only go, but we should be an active voice. Now, the, the thing is that if you say you're a Christian in that kind of community, immediately guns are aimed at you. But we cannot deny that God loves those people. So we need to speak the truth to them in love. God Correct. loves you. You have much, look, your lifestyle choices are not a reflection of who you are. The God that created you, there's a way to engage in that community, sure. and engage with them in a manner that demonstrates the love of God. But we don't run from them because we're afraid. And that's what the issue I think is. The verse of scripture you talked about, pre-fall, the Bible tells us Adam and Eve were naked before one another and they felt no shame. Skip forward to Genesis 3. Once that sin issue came in, the Bible says that they had sinned. They, God spoke to them, we were afraid, so we made a covering. So they began to cover themselves out of fear. And that, I think, is what happens to us in the church. We're trying to cover ourselves, mask our Christianity, mask what we believe, because we don't want the rejection of the world. Somehow, if we tell them biblical truth, we become unpopular. As long as that fear rules us, we cannot truly be salt in the earth or light in the world. Amen. But, but, but help me understand. Where do we differ? Huh? Where do we differ? No, you were talking about the things about the black light matter, white light matter. And I, 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 I'm not sure where the, what the position, but sometimes. So what did I say about that that differ from what you just said? Let me tell you how I heard it. Okay, that, 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 help me with that, please. Uh, the way I heard it, <laughs> yes. sometimes we are afraid to engage on the extant matters of the day, the, the issues of the day, issues that pertain to when people, okay, in that instance there was a debate, President Obama was asked, do all lives matter? And he said yes, but black lives matter. He couldn't get away from the, that position about... I'm not Barack Obama, Charles. No, no, no. Now, I'm just using that as an illustration. I just wanted to help me understand yeah, where so we... What yeah. I'm saying is that when we as a church yes. engage on that matter, because when I'm speaking to a community of people that look like me, it's somewhat intimidating to say to us that, yes, black lives matter, but all lives matter. I don't care if I'm speaking to a white audience or a black audience, because what they're asking, what they're looking for me to do is affirm that position that black lives matter to the exclusion of all lives. But I have to be willing to step back and say, yes, black lives do matter, but so do all other lives. And so the measure of, of um, respect that I accord to black lives, I need to be willing. That may not be a message that that audience wants to hear, but I think it 
resonates with the scripture and I take that position regardless of how those people perceive me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm still trying to find out where the difference is. Okay, Pastor, huh? let me tell you what, what, what you were saying was that we shouldn't engage in those conversations. No, 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 no. No, I didn't say that. No, 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 I didn't say that. I'm saying our response to those people must be living, talking, walking in love. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, no, no. You have, you have to acknowledge what's happening. If, you're not, if you don't acknowledge what's happening around you, you cannot be an answer or a solution to it. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, we definitely have to... But, but responding to those issues sometimes yeah. requires you to take a position that perhaps may not be popular with your audience. Yes, that's why I agree with what... Uh, what's his name? DTJ said. Yes. You acknowledge it. You can even go as far as to condemning the act, but then you have to have a position that, that mitigates and just brings the people together, rally them together at the end of the day, then just uh, for that division. Uh, wow, I just lost my thought. I was going to, you, you have something? Let me. Um, I, I, okay, okay, yeah, just, yeah. Just, just a bit. I, because oh, 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 yes. The issue of fear. Yeah, yeah you, you mentioned the issue of fear. The, the reason for which we don't engage is fear. I agree. But I go back to this issue. The reason fear dominates rules, many of us, I still have to concede that it's because we do not have that true encounter yet. True encounter. No, we don't. Yes. Not only that, John chapter 9, the guy was blind from childbirth. He had the respect of the Sanhedrin. The Jews, the elders. Jesus came around, mm-hmm. healed them, became eyes became open. Even though the atmosphere was toxic, if you said in that day that you need Jesus, you are you, 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 there's a dart on your on your forehead. They're gonna kill you. You know that. The guys had an experience. He walks into the temple. How are you able to see? I was once blind. Now I see. Who healed you? Jesus. What? Do you know who you? They tried to refute him. They tried to shut him down. Say, listen, you guys don't understand. I was once blind. Now you can see. You can talk all your theology, all your grammar, all your dissension, all your controversy. You don't understand. I was a blind man. Jesus touched me. Now I can see. Now you go debate all you want. My testimony remains. So what I'm saying to us is, listen, once you've had an experience with God, not something you read in a magazine, no. Not something Dr. Onofiak is telling you about. Something where Jesus of Nazareth calls you while you are fishing and says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And you left your nets. You knew the day you were carrying the nets. You knew the moment you dropped the nets and followed him. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. That's why I said a week or two ago that all of us need to pray the prayer. God, show me how much you love me. Mm-hmm. Show me. I don't want to just read it. Show me. Help me to see how much you really love me. When God shows you that, the entire world may be against you, but you know that God is for you. It makes all the difference. This whole thing cannot continue to be a head message. It must live from your head and get into your heart. 
Because everything else will fail. But what's in your heart? That's why the Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Not out of your head. Amen? So, we're praying for an encounter. Go ahead. This one is for Dr. Onofia, for sure. <laughs> How do I show to somebody who is different from me hmm. that the position that I take in relation to my relation with God, how do I show that I am, I love them despite of their differences when I clearly take the position of God did not create Steve and Steve or bathrooms should not be shared according to uh, the feelings or something like that. How do I show to that person that I love them genuinely and yet take the same that understand that I love you, but I'm not going to accept that position that what you are doing is 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 is, is natural or I mean how how do I how do I show that? One? <laughs> Amen. Doctor, no forget you're the counselor. <laughs> I can. Good question. Good question. I can, I can love you as a person, but I don't approve what you do. I don't approve what you do. It doesn't mean that I don't love you as a person. Jesus said, love your enemies. Didn't he say it? And then he gave us an example how we can love our enemies. He said, if, if your enemy's sheep falls into, into a pit, say, help him pick it out. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Right, he said that. So we can help them, love them, but we still don't approve what they do. God loves us, all of us. Whether in fact He loved us from the beginning, we were sinners. He didn't approve what we did. No, He didn't. And He gave us His Son to be our Savior. So to answer your question, yes, we love them that we don't approve what they do, and then we try to correct them in love. And the Bible says that it is the goodness of God that brings people to repentance. You still be good to them. So, so really, what I'm hearing the doc say is, you love them, you let them understand you love them, and you don't accept or approve their behavior. But what I'll go one step further, because in order to show that love, it cannot just be something I speak. I have to now look for opportunities to show that love by acts of kindness. Mm -hmm. What can I do for this person with whom I disapprove their lifestyle to help them understand that I can disapprove and still be good to them or kind to them? So I will be asking God to show me the opportunities whereby I can be a blessing, I can be of help, I can be of assistance on a consistent basis. Because what that does it begins to put change in their pocket towards you. Acts of kindness. Every time you do that, there's a change in the pocket. 
Next act of kind of more change in the pocket. The day will come when they become ripe for the gospel message. You already have credibility with them because of the acts of kindness and goodness you've done. So they'll be more apt to open to you or receive from you. Now, that does not always mean that that will work. But even if it does not work, you, don't, you remain consistent in being kind, in being good, being loving, while disapproving. And one more thing you must be very conscious of. I will not judge them. No, 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 no. It's not your place. You've had the conversation. You've told them your position. I will not be going to them every day. Ah, hey, what did you do over the weekend? <laughs> no, I won't, I won't go over that at all. I've made my position clear. They know what, where, how I feel about what they do or do, you know, or do not do. That's it. Now, if they come to me and ask me questions, it's a different thing. It's an opportunity. But I will not make it my job to be the Holy Ghost police. Yeah. Yes. I think we're going to, perhaps that will be the last one. Uh, because unless somebody has a very, very, very late breaking, must ask question. Yes. Here's my question, because sometimes this is can be generalized. And I know husbands and I know wives who, based on the conduct of you know, the other party, I'm not just between husbands and wives. <coughs> For instance, okay, let me give you a practical example. Somebody was asking me, has, you know, can not just share with the spouse um, the amount of money they have, because they know if they have it, it's gone. <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't know if I'm making sense. Yes, yeah. They cannot tell their spouse how much money they have, or yes. because if they tell the spouse, yes. the money will be gone. Yes. The spouse will help them spend it. <laughs> and then uh, I know some other people very close to me, you know, concerning the area of money too. And um, this is not even the spouse, but relation. He can tell his relation that you know he has some, so he has to wear a mask. That he's not in a position to be to be of help because if he does that, he'll be broke. He's going to be broke. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious because, sure. For example, I know I know this, this is really hard. I know where in those days, you know, it's Nigeria. The guy, the guy told his father, so to say, okay, let me just break it up. His father, that you know, he gave his father fifty thousand naira, and the father was thinking like, okay, if this guy has fifty thousand naira to give me, then he has a million. And in a week's time, he went and asked him uh-uh. and said, you know, I need uh, a million. And the guy said, you know, that just didn't work out at the end of the day. But from then on, he started wearing a mask of self. He said, you know, he will never tell his father that he's in a position to help. In fact, he wants to help, he goes through somebody else to, you know, help the father out. So in situations like this, you know, we have you know, all kinds of different situations where you know, sometimes people are just not saying, you know that when you open up to them, you're in trouble. How do you walk this app in real life or in real life situation? Mr. Cancelo. <laughs> <laughs> you, see, I'm a wise man. That's why I have him here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the truth will always set us free. Amen. <laughs> you know, you wear those masks, you know, and yours is the example you are giving is just deception. 
Deception will always put us in bondage. I will come out openly and say, you know, I'm not going to give you what you're asking. You see, part of the reason why we are afraid, we are afraid of rejection. But if I'm filled with acceptance, I know that God has accepted me. And no matter what you do, I know that I have acceptance. And so I don't have to lie to you. Amen. I don't have to deceive you. You know, I tell you, this is it. If you say, well, you have a million dollars, and then I can only give you 50,000, I'll give you a reason for doing that. And to be, you know, to be truthful. So, you know, uh, truth always sets us free. Absolutely. Because, you know, by the time, you know, you know, it comes back, uh, you know, the, you have to keep lying to cover the previous one. Exactly. To cover the previous one. Exactly. And it's, you know, lies will always affect you. Amen. You know, it affects you. So be truthful. Amen. And sometimes, you know, the truth will hurt. Yep. But be willing to take the hurt. Amen. Because you are standing for a position. Amen. And I'll give you a very personal example, uh, a testimony on that one. Uh, of course, I'm born in Nigeria. My parents are still in Nigeria. And uh, my wife will tell you, my father will call or give a request, oh, my church has uh, this going on. And usually the things they have going on that they want me to participate are things that are so extra biblical. Ah, Pastor, Reverend, I've told them that uh, uh, you're going to, for this bazaar, you will give uh, 20,000. I said, bazaar? <laughs> You are asking me to give to Bazaar? <laughs> my wife will tell you, my father, many, many times. And I asked him, he said, show me Bazaar in the Bible. <laughs> and of course, when I, when I say that, uh, they start stammering. I said, okay, I can't I can participate. Many, many things like that. Rather than tell them, no, uh, I, I'm not in the position to do No, I will not, you're right. I will not tell them I'm not in the position to do so. I just define the position for which I cannot participate in what they're asking me for. And you know what happened? It stopped. It stopped. They don't ask me about bazaar, even though they are doing their bazaar. They don't ask me about all this stuff. Uh, my mother would say, well, they are making me the chief or the mother chief of this church. I said, really? <laughs> so now you are the one that is the mother of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Congratulations to all of you. But I'm, I have nothing to do with it. So they stopped asking us. They stop. Maybe they're asking my brother now. I don't, are they asking you now? <laughs> <laughs> they stop. They stop. Because I have to sit them down and say, no, 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 no. But to Greg's point, the no does not mean I don't love you. I know what my role is as a son and what I need to do to honor you guys, to be a blessing to you guys. I will continue to do that, but I will not participate in those things that are not biblical. Absolutely not. If you want to have a funeral for 21 days, that's up to you. My grandmother died. They, I mean, they invited the whole town. Good. You can invite the whole town. I'm coming there for one day. I got there in the morning and left in the evening. I'm gone. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place to be there for 21 days. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you live up to the conscience based on what God is showing you and telling you and you be true to that. Because remember the mask situation? Don't put on mask. Don't do that. You overextend yourself and then you come back home, you're drinking water. 
and you're telling your children, I'm sorry, I can't I have to just drink water because, you know, uh, I did this and did that. I, I gave to Bazaar last, <laughs> last month until now we cannot eat any longer. It's madness. Yes. Pastor MJ, this will be the last one. Please.